listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So Mick, one of the new things that CVA has been working on lately is uh, organic crops and organic uh, soil fertility and providing some organic uh, fertilizer inputs for growers in our trade territory that are, are trying to grow organic crops. So it's so one thing I want to talk about today a little bit is how organic uh, production and organic fertility is a little bit different than what we deal with with our normal uh, row crops and even some of our perennial crops in our in our territory when we go making recommendations. I know you've worked a little bit with organic growers in the past. Have you got much experience with it, Mick? Not a ton, Tim, but I do spend a little bit of time with a, a couple of organic growers and uh, try to help them in, in different ways that we can. Uh, unfortunately, in the past, they haven't had a lot of, a lot of solutions. And uh, over the last few years, there's been more solutions that we were able to help them with. Yeah. Yeah, you know, our, our typical solutions for our fertility issues are things like uh, MAP or Microessentials SZ or, you know, our potash or 060 product, you know, for nitrogen, anhydrous ammonia, UAN, urea, you know, all of these are products that frankly just don't work for an organic grower. According to the National Organic Program rules, you either have to use a natural product or a synthetic product that's been approved by the uh, Organic Materials Research Institute. And that's kind of how we do things here. It's tough, but there's, there's more and more acres, it seems like, that go into organic production. I know, Mick, you and I have joked around in the past about how many acres that is exactly. It seems like every time I come up with a total, it, it grows a little bit. But I would say in the state of Nebraska, there's easily 100 to 150,000 of acres of organic production. And, and uh, the majority of that is in CVA's trade territory. So today I was going to, you know, maybe focus a little bit on some of the differences that you see with organic production versus uh, conventional. You know, we've talked a little bit about using manure in the past. And of course, uh, you know, manure is a key piece of uh, organic fertility. It's, it's the natural product that, that most people think of when they think about how you would fertilize for organic production. But, you know, as we know, it's not a, a balanced fertilizer product that matches the crop's needs all the time. It's, you know, it is what it is. And what comes out of the animal doesn't match exactly what crop removal might be for say corn or soybeans or alfalfa. And, and working with manure works for a while, but sometimes you need to make some adjustments because you tend to end up with too much phosphorus and not enough nitrogen. So you throw more product on and pretty soon you got way too much phosphorus. So. Any, any thoughts on that? You know, uh, Tim, exactly. You hit the nail on the head there. The manure does not match up to crop uptake. It would be too simple if that was the, was the easy button or the solution. So uh, we've got to find other ways to, to get nutrients out there to help these growers. The other issue a lot of organic producers run into is they're not close to manure the manure that they are close to doesn't match anymore what they're really needing for crop uptake you know we talk about manure and, and we throw that out as a general number but there's you know as we've talked about on some previous uh, programs there's some big differences between feedlot manure you know liquid hog slurry the 
mainly water that comes off a lagoon, off stay a hog or dairy operation, or chicken litter. And, and each one has its pluses and each one has its minuses. And, and usually, you know, what you're looking for as a grower for a while, you know, the stuff close to you will work, but after a while, then you're looking at uh, products a lot further away. And if, if you're gonna truck feedlot manure, you know, over about 20 or 30 miles, um, it gets to be really cost prohibitive. That's a lot of lot of water you're moving, then we're not getting much out of that water. No, you know, and especially the nitrogen. That's where it seems like uh, we get the most questions from organic growers. Is uh, you know, corn is kind of king out there. It has been for a lot of years across the corn belt, and that that's the same in organic production. You know, every year an organic farmer um, gets back into corn production. It's generally his his most profitable year. I mean, there's there's a good market for organic soybeans, but our, our rules for organic production say that we can't have just a monocrop or just a real simple rotation like corn and soybeans. We've got to bring other things in there. Um, if you can bring in something like alfalfa, that's going to be a good source of nitrogen if that can precede corn. But a lot of times, you know, guys will do that once. They don't want to go back into, into alfalfa again before they're into corn. And that's where they really come to us looking for some nitrogen uh, sources or solutions. And, and we have some. I mean, as a cooperative, we've started working with uh, Darling International and their Nature Safe Fertilizer. And that's a, a rendered uh, byproduct. It's blood and bone meal, uh, meat meal, um, feather meal. And it, it allows a grower to add nitrogen. And it's an organic product here in the United States. It's you know, similar to us using manure. It's, it's basically a byproduct of uh, animal feeding operations. And that allows us to provide some nitrogen. They've got some 13% nitrogen products, some 9% nitrogen products, and we're able to, to put together a prescription based off those products that can meet nitrogen needs. We are able to do some things with dried poultry litter or pelletized poultry litter that would allow a grower to, to bring in nitrogen. And a lot of growers will look for that pelletized uh, poultry litter as well. It's usually high in nitrogen, especially compared to things like feedlot manure or swine manure but nitrogen's really kind of the king out there. And generally we're trying to supplement it. The stuff gets pretty cost prohibitive if that's your only source of nitrogen for a corn crop. But if you can grow some nitrogen with either a cover crop or alfalfa as a previous crop, and then can maybe uh, come back and supplement that. One of the nice things about these products is they'll go through a lot of our equipment. And if we can top dress that in season with a spinner or an air machine and you know maybe make a V, six application especially on our lighter soils where they tend to leach some nitrogen to supplement the the organic nitrogen from a cover crop or from say a base of feedlot manure that works pretty good hey tim i got a question is you know how does omri think about uh we've got a lot of high nitrate wells in in nebraska and you know, does Omri have any limitations on utilizing those high, those nitrates that are coming out of the water? No, they do not. And that's actually something that an organic grower who's got irrigation should really think about. Get a get an irrigation test and find out what those uh, what those nitrate levels are. You know, when you think about it a little bit, if you've got, you know, 15 part per million nitrate and you want to put on, say, oh, 10 inches of irrigation water, probably about 35 pounds of nitrogen that uh, you just got for free in with the water. And I'm reapproved, obviously, right? Yeah. There you go. It's, it's, can't much get much more natural than water. 
that's kind of the thought, you know, it's the same thing with animal manure. A lot of people will ask, well, uh, you know, if these are conventionally, conventionally raised cattle, hogs, chickens, you know, they're fed uh, GMO grains. Well, how can that manure be used on an organic farm? And, and the honest answer is um, it's not a problem. So if the, if the animal manure itself is not treated with some kind of a product, like say a, uh, instinct to inhibit uh, nitrification in the soil, um, that's not allowed. So as long as something like that isn't put on it, you're generally okay. You know, nitrogen's probably our biggest struggle. Uh, what would you say our, our second biggest struggle in the organic operation is? Surprisingly, uh, phosphorus is a bit of a problem too. If you've got cattle manure, phosphorus is there all day long but if you don't and it's and you're not trucking that uh, that in a lot of times we have challenges building phosphorus as well um, a lot of these uh, uh, rendering byproducts that uh, that work really well for nitrogen have fairly low levels of phosphorus in them so we've got a 7-12-1 that comes from nature safe but uh, again building soil test levels of phosphorus with uh, with commercial organic fertilizers pretty difficult and pretty expensive. So guys will usually come in and do a shot of, of some kind of manure at least once every five to 10 years to try to get some kind of a base in there. It used to be guys would say that the corn genetics were a big limiting factor, but frankly, with all the interest in organic, uh, the genetics have gotten a lot better. I've got growers that are producing 200, 250 bushel corn, and that's working real well. One thing guys don't think about a lot is there are a lot of just naturally mined fertility products out there. You know, things that we commonly sell to our conventional growers like, you know, even uh, 0060 potash. Now the organic people want, are concerned about chloride buildup. So you need a soil test that shows that you um, don't have a chloride buildup and that you actually need potassium fertilizer. The other issue gets to be the dust uh, control or dust retardant products. If, if a grower is looking for potash, that's something he needs to have a conversation with his um, supplier. That does have to have an OMRI label on it. And that label then will certify that there's no additional um, products put on there that would put it out of certification like a petroleum-based um, dust uh, control agent. And that's an issue people have got to look for. But if you get mined potash that doesn't have the, the uh, petroleum-based dust control on it, that's a, that's okay product. Um, go ahead. So Tim, what, what can they utilize uh, and still meet that OMRI approval for dust control because dust control in, in granular fertilizer is, is an issue? That's exactly right. And so is flowability. So flow agents are, are an issue as well. So it's something they just need to work with their supplier on. They need to check and make sure that supplier has gone through the trouble of getting an OMRI certification. And basically they have to uh, turn in the specs on their product, give all the ingredients they're using, give OMRI the process that was used to make the fertilizer. But if it's a mined uh, fertilizer, like you know, potash generally is, it's, it's basically a brine that's uh, then dried and is a granular fertilizer then they're fine. But again, OMRI is pretty much the key. The other key is, and a lot of guys don't catch this, is it's really up to their certifier what the appropriate products to use are. So, you know, a salesperson that's out there or an agronomist that's out there like myself that tells the guy, yeah, this is OMRI approved, you can use this. 
you still got to go back and check with your certifier. You know, if the certifier may have some reason that they don't allow that, and the certifier, the guy that provides the certificate, which states that your crop is where is okay to sell as organic. Some other products that a lot of times uh, guys don't think about is uh, langbanite, the uh, potassium magnesium sulfate. That's a mine product. And again, you've got to check with your supplier and make sure it doesn't have any additives that might um, not allow compliance. And it's a product that you know needs an OMRI certificate, but we can provide uh, potassium, sulfur, and magnesium with that product. And it's really valuable in some of the sandy soils. Calcium products, a vendor that we use a lot for, uh, for a nice pelletized gypsum product and a good pelletized lime product. They've got armory certificates on both those products and guys can use those. And a lot of our micronutrients are a mine product um, or, or non-synthetically produced like manganese sulfate. We've got uh, that available borate. Um, we've got zinc sulfate that's OMRI approved. So a lot of the micronutrients, we've got dry fertilizer products that will work real well in organic. How about liquid products? Are there much for liquid products available, Tim? I get that question a lot, and that's a real challenge. So there's liquid products that are um, biologicals and some stimulants, I'll call them, but there's not a lot of real high fertility liquid products. You know, a lot of guys will say, well, I I'm transitioning to organic and I've used Begin or I've used 1034.0 and I know you don't call it a starter mix, but some guys consider it a starter. And, and they want something like that. You know, they like liquid, works well with their system, they've got the equipment for it. And to be honest with you, it really isn't out there. Um, we've got a little bit of stuff from NatureSafe, a soluble 777, and we've got a liquid 333 that they just came out with. Um, those can work in lieu of other liquid fertilizers, but they are fairly pricey. And uh, most of the time when we're talking about trying to get good soil fertility built up, um, I'm usually talking about dry product. You know, when you go to the biological side of it, there's a lot of interest in some of the different uh, bugs and our ability to help mother nature cycle nutrients, some of our uh, sugar type products. And those do have a lot of following on the organic side. Some of the kelp products, some of the fish type products, um, those are available, but it's tough to, you know, a guy will throw something like that down and then try to meet nitrogen needs for 150 bushel corn following a grass crop like wheat. That's just not going to work. I know that, that uh, a lot of guys within the humic acid world, uh, some humics, do, you can get some humic acids that don't have additives to them. Uh, my experience was with trying some of those that would have an OMRI label is they're a dirtier product. They haven't had any, any filtration or anything like that. And those tend to be a little bit of a dirtier product. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of clogging involved in those. Yeah. One thing about that organic growers is they are kind of outside the box thinkers. So they are oftentimes willing to try things like that. And they're kind of used to having to do it themselves. So they, they've learned things that work and don't work and, and they've done it through the school of hard knocks. So it's pretty good to just sit and, uh, and walk through what they've tried in the past and what their existing program is before you try to you know, give them advice on what some other things that they might try are. I know we've been, we've been working together a little bit on planning an organic innovation site and, uh, you know, we want to do things in, in smaller uh, 
uh, one pass, single passes, and uh, a lot of these products require a lot of volume. And uh, certainly, some of the growers that we're, we've been spreading some manure for, uh, or pelletized chicken litter, uh, it, there's a lot of it labor intensive intensive activity going on with these organic crops. Yeah, there sure is. Uh, you know, guys don't understand sometimes how much trucking it's going to take if you're going to apply a product at one to two ton per acre. They're used to something like urea or MAP or MES that are applied at, you know, 100 or 200 pounds the acre. The trucking is exponentially higher. And the amount of time it takes to make application, some of these rates, you know, like you and I've talked about, our equipment's not set up for and some of these things like uh, you know dried poultry litter, they're not really made to flow through a, an air uh, fertilizer machine. They might work through a spinner, but they may not work so well through an air machine. So all of those are challenges. You know, applying 2,000 pounds of anything is, is difficult, Tim, and, uh, you know, and spreading that evenly across an acre uh, gets to be a challenge, and it, and it's definitely something that's going to be a learning curve for all of us. Yeah, it sure is. And, and we ask, you know, when we do that kind of work that the grower uh, works with us a little bit, you know, as we're trying to make application by crisscrossing the field, there, there may be times where there's a little bit of streaking because it's a product that we're not used to those rates and our equipment's not made for it. But, but you work with it. And most organic guys have had to do these kind of things on their own, too. So they're fairly understanding of what, uh, what we're dealing with there. You, you know as well as I do that, uh, you know, when, you, when you've got something that's really not made to go in a grain trailer, sometimes it doesn't work out quite as good as you might have hoped. I was happy we had vibrating hoppers on the trailers we used for uh, dehydrated poultry litter. Sometimes, uh, especially when that stuff comes a little hot out of the dehydrator, it wants to stick up a little bit. Tim, I think you'd, you'd do a great job pushing a broom and pushing dehydrated chicken manure down a, down a trap. I was, uh, I was definitely happy to be running the loader and not running a broom, and I was happy I didn't have to go find a pole to try to open that, uh, that trap up. So, with, like I said, those vibrating hoppers, uh, that, that's definitely something a grower should consider if they're going to try to do it yourself and go get their own chicken litter. So, I suppose it's about time for a funny farm story. Yeah, Tim, I, I've got one. It, it's... A bit of a farm story, bit of a story on me. So uh, I was probably five or six years old. My my father, he ended up, he sold livestock trailers and, and shoot horses and he ended up taking me to the feed yard one day. <clears throat> and he was going to shoot horses all day long at that feed yard. And he sits me on a five-gallon bucket and he says, I want you to sit right here. And he says, here's a pile of buckets, and they're castrating in that chute over there. And he says, every time they throw the testicles out, you go and grab the testicles and throw them in the buckets, and we'll take them home, and, and we'll, have, we'll have mountain oysters to eat. Okay, Dad, I can do that. So I sat there all day, and, and I watched these guys castrating bulls all day long. And yeah, I kind of had my head going and got to thinking about it. Hmm, I could do that. So we got home that night and we took care of the testicles and took them to the butcher shop and ran them through the 
meat tenderizer and marked them cube steak and throw, threw them in the freezer so the ladies of the house didn't know exactly what was in there. And few, that night or, or, or a few nights later, I uh, had our Doberman Pinscher dog that weighed 105 pounds. I had him in the hallway there uh, of the house and I had him tied to the oak dining room chair. Well, I always played veterinarian, so none of the family members thought anything of it. And pretty soon this dog decides to run around the house and it's like a Marmaduke cartoon. And this chair is flying in pieces and dad screaming, what did you do? What did you do? And I didn't, I said, I was just playing veterinarian dad. And he opens the door and the dog goes out, out the front door and, and, uh, Nothing broke other than the chair. About an hour later, the dog came back in with still one rung and half the seat tied to him. And in the meantime, dad says, well, ex exactly what were you doing, son? And I said, well, dad, I said, I was playing veterinarian. Remember, we watched him castrate those bulls. And he said, you didn't. And I held up my rubber tomahawk and I said, see my knife? <laughs> it took me until a few years ago that I could not have that rubber tomahawk back, but I have secured it and it's in a secure location. But uh, kind of a kind of a funny thing when you try to castrate a dog with a with a rubber tomahawk, he doesn't like it very much and destroys the dining room chair. If we have any PETA members listening, please remember Mick was five at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that we're popular with the PETA crowd, Mick. But. Uh, probably not. It, it, <laughs> the, you know, the funny thing is, is that dog was, I was his favorite human. Yep. And he would protect me at all costs, even after that incident. <laughs> Dogs are loyal. That definitely proves it right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> So Mick, we talked a little bit about Inferro products. I know you and I have worked with a couple um, in, with conventional growers, and I've also worked with a couple with organic growers. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that when you get to organic production, you know, and you and I are, are so used to conventional fertilizer and we focus on, you know, pounds of phosphorus and pounds of nitrogen and pounds of, uh, of all the minerals we work with. One, one conversation you really have to have, and most guys have been growing organic for a while know it, is in organic, you kind of rely on the nutrient cycle itself. And you rely on soil health, you rely on biological activity, you rely on your rotation, which again, should not just be corn, corn or corn, soybeans. Um, and, and you kind of get that to work for you. And some of these things that are in furrow, like, you know, we've got some that are based off, you know, molasses. We've got others that are generally a, a biological. It's actually a, a group of microorganisms that they've had good luck with stimulating um, nutrient cycling and root uptake. And, and frankly, the kind of things that you and I for years have called snake oils. But it seems like as we work those into a system, they can provide more nutrients than you need. So when I sit down with an organic grower and he tells me he's trying to grow, you know, 200 bushel of corn and, and this happens to follow soybeans, and normally if this is a conventional guy, we're talking somewhere minimum 150 pounds of nitrogen, probably might be a little closer to 200. Again, depends on when he's putting it down, what his experience in the past has been, what the rest of his fertility looks like. 
but I don't start there with organic. You know, I'm generally going to cut that number about in half. Right. You know, uh, I, I'm excited this year to work for the two of us to work together and look at some of these snake oils as I call them. And, and you called them, but, uh, I like to look at those and see what they're doing when we run them with water. I've always ran them with fertilizers and, you know, then you get the argument, is it the fertilizer giving you the bump or not? And I always compare back to the straight fertilizer, but what happens when we run some of these through uh, one product that we've tested for two years in our innovation sites on our conventional air innovation sites has 21 microbes in it. And we've seen some positive results running with, with a starter fertilizer. What, do we, what if we run that just with water? What kind of results will we see? Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see those results. Yep. Yeah, I just ask our listeners to stay tuned. We're going to have an, an organic innovation plot this year, and we'll see how that works. And um, it looks like it's going to be in a long-term organic field. It's been uh, certified organic for 10 years, and, and we'll see how our products work into that system. And like you and I both talked about many times, it's a systems approach. It's never about a product or uh, you know just one input it's about how does this input or these inputs fit into this system that we're putting together with this grower and it's never us as agronomists right the grower's got a system already we're working in it and organic growers are no different than conventional that way you know one of the things that we're we're celebrating 25 years of, of advanced cropping systems uh, this year and that 25 years uh, it's been a long time but we're finding out and we're learning as we're working a little bit more with these organic growers. They're even interested in, in doing some of the things such as grid sampling, zone sampling, uh, precision monitors on, on their planters and uh, GPS. GPS is important, with, especially an organic grower. Uh, when they're going back and, and driving through that, through those rows multiple times, if you have auto steer and, and, and GPS, it's a heck of a lot easier than trying to, trying to eyeball the rows. Yeah, that's a really good point, Mick. You know, both the ability to verberate fertility and, and just manure, right? You know, we're able to do the verberate manure prescriptions. We'll pick a nutrient and vary the prescription off of it. Like you said, the planter equally important in that AB line and being able to do a straight line and get your cultivator set and follow a line those are pretty important for organic growers and, and technology is certainly OMRI certified. You know, just because they're not using the same products, conventional products that another grower is using, doesn't mean they can't use the technology. That's, that's the neat part of this whole industry. Yeah, sure is. So Mick, anything else to add on the organic fertilizer side? Stay tuned and, and make sure that you, Check out the innovation series, whether that's the organic site or the, one of the conventional sites. We look forward to uh, having a lot of great ideas to share with you at, later on this uh, in <clears throat> later on this summer. Very good. Well, with Mick Godekin, our innovation uh, plot manager, I'm Tim Mundorf, nutrient management lead with Central Valley Ag. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at 
ACS by CBA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cbacoop.com and you can see our agronomy focus blog series every other Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Mick Godekin and Tim Mundorf.